Worker Bees and Honey Queens. Insert your punch card into the infernal machine, pray that your husband didn't pack you meatloaf for lunch again, and yes, we are counting all the minutes you spend in the toilet and deducting them from your vacation time. Because it's time to talk tall to me. <laughs> I was trying to th- I was trying to think of there's uh, a joke, Nick, of a joke. Boss pays me a dime so I poop on their time or Oh uh, yeah. Boss makes a dime, I I make a nickel, boss makes a dime, so I poop That's on why company I listen to talk to me on. Welcome back to <laughs> our podcast. I am Omen Sade. And I am Nick McGill. Together we are feckless moans. And this is Talk Tall to Me. A collective bargaining meeting in the union headquarters of Prog Rock, in which no raiding pact Nick and OSHA violation Omen negotiate a contract that provides equal opportunity to every single song that long-laboring rock band Jethro Tull has ever produced. We will review the grandfather guitar clause in the contract of Martin Backloading Bar, codify in writing the traditions of David Past Practices Peg, and consider the safety value provided by Mark Closed Shop Craney, all while hoping that through our collective power, we can force the cold flute hand of Ian Alterigo Anderson to finally give us a day off. We are so, so tired. You never cease to amaze me on those those long, rambling intros. I'm amazed that I never cease. Never, never stop. Don't Can't stop, won't stop. Not until... We get through Zealot Gene. Don't stop believing. Don't stop believing. Nick, hello. Welcome back to the podcast. That is our podcast. This this is our podcast. It is Talk Tall to Me. I am back, as are you, as are presumably and hopefully our listeners. Uh, before we uh, we get into the, the meat and potatoes today, we have a couple of things that we want to cover beforehand. Let's start with... Omen, I believe you have some news. You got a little something that you would like to plug. You know, contrary to what you may believe, neither Nick or I actually cease to exist when you stop listening to the podcast. It's true. We do other things, and uh, and there is another podcast that I have had the good fortune to be included on. It is a trivia podcast. Uh, it's about 45 minutes long. It is called The Last Call Trivia Podcast. So if you like trivia, or if you simply can't get enough of my sweet mellifluousness, have a listen. It's on all the all the pod places. All the pod places that you could possibly, potably find. Potable. It's potable. It's a potent potable. Did you ever watch Jeopardy? No. Heavens no. No? Oh, yeah. But- yeah, I like Jeopardy. Yeah, so. I did one because I didn't have a TV, and two because oh, yeah. that's too close to Sudoku for me, and I and I don't approve. Yeah, I, I knew I knew there was a little bit of a Venn diagram there. Yeah, yeah. Nick Omen. Today we have the exquisite pleasure of talking tall about another song. But before that, do we have any correspondences? That we do, Marley. If you don't mind, Marley. Marley, what? Why are you walking like that? What's going on? Frostbite on me nipples. Uh, fr- frostbite on your on your nipples. I mean, that we won't even get into that just yet. But why is it causing you to hobble? Nerve connects to the feet. 
Oh, the, the, the nipple nipple nerve runs to the feet? The nipple that, bone connects to the knee bone, as you don't, you know, yes. That's I, I think I have heard that in my, my studies, yeah. Too um, much shoveling in the storm. Oh, is that it? Is that... I was, you know, I thought it just, I thought it melted. I appreciate your going out there and taking one for the team, Marley. I will make you some bone broth. The bone broth bones connected to the nipple bone. <laughs> that's that's also true. Why don't you head upstairs and check out the anatomy book? You, you might need a, all right, take your time. It's all right. Oh, boy. Uh, he's, uh, he's, he was a hobbly old man before the nipple incident. He, he just doesn't stop. He doesn't. He. I mean, I think if he did, he'd never start back up again. I think that's no. What yeah, is. that's the thing. Yeah, he may. He probably died years ago. Actually, I mean, for what it's worth, I don't have to feed him. So I mean, it's it is a win win. I think. <laughs> or bathe him. Or bathe him. I mean, he doesn't smell. So. So what did he? Uh, what did he bring you there, Nick? <laughs> he, he gave me an email printed oh printed on birch bark for some reason. <laughs> this is from a new writer inner. <gasps> Our favorite kind of writer inner. <laughs> We do love our regular writer inners as well. Our second favorite kind of writer inner. <laughs> this is from Bob H. It, the subject is To Me Tall Talk, and the message is Momeless Fecks. Oh my gosh. I discovered your podcast recently after seeing somewhere that you had a chance to interview Ian. Mm. Or maybe it was something else, but I'm fairly sure it was on Facebook, and have been binging at work. I've made it up to episode 103, March the Mad Sigh. Love the show and appreciate the work you do. My first Tull album was Broadsword, Ooh. which I bought just because I like the cover art. We did things like that back in the dark ages of record stores and no internet. And it didn't take long to become obsessed. Had a friend who was also a fan, and I'm afraid he enabled my addiction. The greatest compilation ever released, in my not-so-humble opinion, was the 20 Years of Jethro Tull boxed set, which I had on vinyl, CD, and cassette. I went from my first album to buying three copies of the same release in less than two years. My first Tull concert was the Rock Island tour. I believe that was the last of the classic Ian shows. We went to every Tull concert in the state for a decade after that, and they slowly became less overblown and theatrical. We were there for the music, so that was okay. But it's disappointing for everyone younger who never had the chance to see the act. Mm. Like everyone else, I have a broadsword tattoo. Even talked my wife into letting me name our son Ian. Luckily, he is also a fan. Wow. Thank you, Bob. Bob H., thank you so much for writing in. Thank you for listening to the podcast, and thank you for that wonderful jumpstart. And and Tales from the Tales from the Tull. Tales from the Tull. That might, that might have to be a new part of that segment. I like that. Tales from Tull. Tull Tales. Tull Tales. Oh, Tull Tales. That was so obvious. I missed it. Which is, it's a, that's actually a, there was a tribute album, a Tull tribute album that had that had like Martin Barr on there, had a couple of other people who had worked with Tall at the time. Okay. Came out when we were in high school, I believe. It was called A Tall Tale. No, oh, there we go. Yeah. 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 So it's it's not original, but it's good. Thank you for reminding us of the the overlap, the importance of album art in the days of uh physical physical albums. Uh sure. you know, I think even by the time we were buying music physically in the Barnes and Noble music section, you know, it was reduced to a small enough size that 
it didn't have as much of an impact. No way. As it did when you have a 16 inch by 16 inch multi-layered piece of art. Yeah. Platform for visual expression. I mean, it's like a bottle of wine. Most people buy bottles of wine based on the label. Yeah. Yeah. Not not how it sounds. Once we but once we begin downloading wine, Th- then it'll just nobody will the care. Picture will picture that that great yeah. the great artwork of the wine bottles will be lost. That that is why the record company really fought against the cover for this was actually was the, really? the picture of everybody in old man makeup the name Jethro Tull nowhere to be seen. They were like, why? This is the worst decision ever. Like, why but would you I do think this? it's actually genius because when you're flipping yeah. through the records in the record store, you know, in that stack, yeah. you get to something like that and you have to pause and be like, what in the heck is this? Yeah. Is it backwards? Who is this madness? Men? Yeah. So you flip it and you, 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 you investigate. Yeah. And then you invest. And then you invest in Jethro Tull. Thank you, Bob H. I hope you, you continue to enjoy the podcast and we will continue to enjoy knowing that you are listening to the podcast. So shall we get into a little more uh, A-lore before we jump into the song itself? Lore blimey. Let's indeed. What have you got? So let's talk about solo album versus not solo album. Okay, sure. Tall yeah. album. So Chrysalis and Terry Ellis, w- one half of Chrysalis, were insistent, well, of one half of the starters of Chrysalis, they, were, they had plenty of people at that time. They were insistent that it be a tall album. Tall yeah. sold albums. And right. Martin and Dave were on there. So it should be tall, basically. Because remember, Dave did a little bit of bass finagling prior to this. Yeah, of course, of on the tour. With, with Stormwatch and the tour. And I, I, the way it seems is he was lined up to be the bassist for tall after this. Mm-hmm. After, after this solo album. So because of that... Chrysalis and Terry were like, this is a Tull album. How can you not call it a Tull album? If it's if it's an Ian Anderson solo album, it should be Ian, flute, and acoustic. Right, right. Which I would love to hear, which is actually half of a lot of the albums that we listen to. So yes. you can't really say that's not Tull either. But I, I get it. I get the, the, loose, the loose logic there. At that point, the talks with Chrysalis never reached a point where they, they said... Listen, if this does not go out as tall, it's not getting released. They never they never threatened. Yeah. But it'd be counterproductive. But Ian does think that it was a mistake to come out as a tall album. And Dave Pegg never knew that it was supposed to be a solo project in the first place. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a basist, isn't it? <laughs> yep. <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting. You know, it's interesting that there was such a fuss and a hullabaloo about it because I'm sure that at the time it, it seemed very important. Uh-huh. But for our ears, what would it matter? Right. How much differently would we listen to it now if it was released under the name Ian Anderson versus Tall? We do have the luxury of the remove. Who knows knows what it was like in the moment when when people were so actively invested in the band and the band had just broken off and of and it course, was the first exactly. of the solo albums so everyone's like well the band members are gone and now Ian wants to put out a solo album is Jethro Tull done I think that was you know I'm putting myself into the into the imaginary shoes of the record label yeah and that would be my fear yeah I I, I think that's 
that is a, a good thing to be Afraid concerned of. about. Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I think you're right on that. Fear good. Fear good. Fear good. Fear keep you alive. At the time, there was a leak to Melody Maker, the music magazine, thought to be from Terry Ellis, which he has done this in the past, so it's not outside the realm of possibility, because he's the one who leaked that Tull was retiring after a passion play got bombed. Right, I remember that, I remember that. So this time, the rumor was that there was a huge upheaval in the band's lineup, and the headline from Melody Maker was Jethro Tull dash Big Split. Ian says it's forgivable except for the fact that the editor, Ray Coleman, also included the line, Anderson had been frustrated with the old lineup for some time and finally took the dramatic plunge to fire three musicians. Uh, Which we know is not what happened. Exactly, yeah. So Ian wasn't surprised by it. It's sensationalism. They had to sell an issue. He actually felt bad for Barry D. and John Evans because they... They didn't think that they were fired until they read that. Right. And then, of course, they would think, well, now, wait a minute. Yeah. And that's their reputation and their careers on the potentially affected by that. So regardless of what they knew to be the case, they were really kind of peeved about that. Of course. Ian wrote them all letters to forewarn them, but none of them... None of them came out of that exchange terribly. But all the letters were delayed by the plague on their way to Mantua and so couldn't reach them in time. That's it. Bang on. Yeah. Yeah. A little Romeo and Juliet reference for you. (laughs) (laughs) So (laughs) that's it for a info. We can talk about the song itself. Well, well, that's a fabulous idea, Nick. Why don't we talk about the song itself? The song, may I say its title? I would, I would, I was just about to ask. I would love nothing more. The song of the hour, the song to which we will be listening and subsequently talking to all about today is Working John, Working Joe. It was recorded at Pop Police with the Maison Rouge mobile studio on May 24th. Take five was the master. Oh. So this song... I think we we referenced this a couple of songs ago. I think it was during bonus tracks. Oh, it was, I think it was Man of God. Yeah. I think it was Man of God. So this is an instance of one of those songs that had been kicking around for actually four years. This song was included on the Songs from the Wood 40th anniversary album in 17, in 2017, because that's when this song came about. But yeah. it got completely re-recorded for A with revised lyrics. And and that makes utter sense because whatever sound they came up with for Songs from the Wood would obviously need to be revamped for, for something as drastic, quote-unquote drastic, as A. Indeed. So, Nick, without further adieu, should we jump into the song itself? Sure. Let us dive into this number. Let's take a listen to just under five minutes, Working John, Working Joe. When I was a young man, as all good tales begin, I was taught to hold out my hands. Nick, there we have Working John, Working Joe. There it is is there it is how, how how long was this song again uh it's it's like just over 440 so just under five okay does this song do it for you 
it does something. I wouldn't say it's like a like a favorite, like I'm going to throw it on top of the list, but it's a good song. I like it. Yeah, it's definitely it's it's a song that I really enjoy. It's not as favorite to me as um, whatever we talked about last week. But clearly a favorite. Filingdale Flyer. Oh, I love it. Yeah, but I, I do enjoy this song. It's good like the album is good. It's solid. Yeah, it's a solid song. It's really it's a solid good. song. Yeah, it does its job and it does it well. Like working, it doesn't John complain. This John. song hasn't taken a day off in thirty years. It'll mention that every week, but it won't complain. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so excited to talk about work. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Thrilled. Just so thrilled. So this song. Let's talk. Uh, let's talk musically. Sure. Sure. We got a, a nice, nice acoustic start. It's the the first bit of acoustic that we've heard this album. Granted, this is only track number three, but still, like, I mean, at this point, well, going up until this point, up until Stormwatch, we're very accustomed to acoustic tracks. Definitely, definitely. The start of A with Crossfire and Filingdale Flyer is such a big jolt that maybe it's nice after those two to be like, hey, we still got a little something in here. We didn't sell the acoustic guitar. Yeah, it does. It does go into electric again, and it does go very synthy. We don't go back into acoustic at all, but it's there. You know, yeah, he yeah. gives it to us. Yeah, the synth follows hard on the heels of the acoustic guitar, but it is, it, as you say, it's lovely to have that reminder of of that instrumentation. One of my favorite parts of this song is the synth going. <laughs> You know what I'm talking about? I, I don't. I don't. I it, but the, the thing for me, it's, oh, oh, I think I do. For me, whenever I think of the synth in here, it's like, wow, wow. Bow, 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 bow. Yeah, I like that as well. <laughs> but in the back, lower down, you hear this. I love it. It's on the tuba setting, I think. It, it, it might be. It's P-H-A-T. It is. It is a fat beat. Yeah. It's a, it's a fat synth. <laughs> now I'm a working I'm a working And I'm doing what I know. I don't have that much more musically. It, it, it follows a pretty... Like, once it gets going, it... it there's not a ton of variation. It's not a super proggy, quote unquote, yeah, sound. It's mostly, I think, in 8-8, eight, eight, although I am convinced that there are some measures of 7-8 that get dropped in there. Just kind of sporadically, is there is there any, like, is there a consistency to it, you know, that like in certain parts in between or? I couldn't figure that out. I was looking yeah. for a pattern, and and maybe I'm entirely wrong. Maybe there's no seven eight, but I I I'm pretty sure that in the first half of the song there's at least one measure where they cut a beat off of it. Maybe it's a transition. You actually fell asleep for a single beat. I I had temporal fugue <laughs> that was very short. Just very very quick. Yeah. yeah. Just a quick uh, quick break from reality. We all need one. We do. That That's we do. why we're all listening to this podcast. Ooh. But it it is a fairly even rhythm. 
there's a lot of yes. nice textural variation with the synths. Uh, the bass is pe- David Pegg is I'm really starting to enjoy his bass playing the more that I listen to it. It's good. He's a very solid bass player. Yeah, and he's got a, he's got a little bit of a a sense of humor to the bass. I think. Would you say? Would you say that John Glasscock did not? That he was like a very serious bassist. Ian is a very serious bassist. I Ian, will say that. If, if you had to characterize the bassists, I would say Ian is a very studious bassist. Okay. He's very functional. Yes. In a, in a wonderful way. Yep. I would say that John Glasscock brings this sense of the mystery of the bass. Ooh, okay. Yeah, he's he's wearing like a half mask and a cape. <laughs> maybe a, maybe yeah. a fedora with a very wide brim. Yeah. The base the base extends into dimensions that we cannot perceive. Yes. I like that. I think that's accurate. Whereas David Pegg, I feel it's a little cheeky. It's a little like, oh okay. yeah. look at this base walking down the street. <laughs> Where's he going, eh? Oh, oh, watch the base. But Jeffrey Hammond Hammond, I would classify as barely a bassist. <laughs> he's, he's a, a bassist in the sense that he owned he's, a bass. He has played a bass in at one point, <laughs> but but there was something there was something pure about his bass playing. I, I, yeah, there there is there's an innocence to his bass. An playing innocence. That... <laughs> <laughs> what am I doing here? Oh, I guess I'll just play this bass. Someone put it in my hand. <laughs> but to do something while I'm standing here, oh, all these people are watching me. So what else do we have in this song? I I mean I think you're I I'm pretty much on the same level as you in terms of. It's it's just very steady and it's very consistent. And maybe that is to pair with the stalwart march forward of the worker. Yeah. You know? I also really like the drum, the drums in this song. Mark Graney is really doing some fun stuff. Just coming in really heavy. And for me, that's bringing, it's heralding in the sound of the 80s with that. Yeah. What's that very first time that we hear the drums? Oh yeah, the big Tom, the big Tom Phil, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's a super 80s sound. You're right, yeah. And it's great. I love it. The Tom drum was actually not invented until the 80s. Is that true? Jethro Tull Jethro Tull was the Ian Anderson was like, I've I'm I've I did the Lyricon. I think we should do Tom drums. I think you may be pulling my my leg. I'm pulling something. You pull a little harder. <laughs> You'll be disappointed. I won't have to go see the chiropractor. <laughs> oh, th- thank God that's where that went. What is this song about? <sighs> Nick McGill. I've got the explanation from Ian. He's oh, well, let's like, save that. Okay. Let's faff about for a bit. Let's see how close. You have obviously have it in a sealed envelope and you haven't read it. That's right. It's, okay. uh, yep, yep. It's, a, in, it's in a vibranium envelope, yeah. <laughs> for me, this song has always spoken to me about the the evolution of working life in the 20th century and okay. and moving from the industrial age to more of the information age. Oh, um, okay. Yeah, I see that. Not explicitly when it comes to, you know, the function of digitalness in the workplace, but all but more the 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 trap of what is presented to us by capitalism where we think ah if I work hard, you know, the story we're all told as, as kids or we were told as we were kids, you know, and the kind of the I know this is based in England, but, you know, the kind of 
what we call the American dream here, or the lie of the American dream is like, yeah. well, if you work hard, you can do better than your parents did. Yeah. That's great. the great. Great. Okay. <laughs> well, and for many years that was true. Oh, yes, it was. Yeah. But I think that this is showing the the loss of dignity of work and like, yeah. you know, what do you what happens when you buy into that and what what are the consequences of that? Is there a loss of kind of the richness of working life? Yeah. I I really like the idea of of the evolution that you're you're talking about uh, there mm. that that we do see him talking about like kind of like a blue collar, but then we also see him uh, talking in uh, later on in the song about uh, like a, a white collar person mm-hmm. and the the evolution of like, well, at some point, everybody was blue collar, but now we're starting to see more and more jobs that are white collar and more and more yeah. people are filling in those jobs. So regardless of whether you're digging a trench to lay conduit for, for electrical wire I spent three years doing, sure. or you're sitting at a desk in a cubicle somewhere doing data entry. Like right. you are, you're still a cog in the machine. Right. And there's this perceived improvement, you know, that with higher wages come right, all yeah. the trappings of success, quote unquote. But I think that what, by the end of the song, we get this kind of, we experience the hollowness of that success. Yeah. And I, I just want to, I'll put a note in that. I got paid the best I've ever been paid to dig holes in the ground than I do to get data entry or IT work or whatever. So it's yeah. not a, it's not a wage thing. It's it's more of a a perceived status thing. You know, yes, like yes. oh, I don't have to dig in the ground. I can work on a computer all day. Yeah. Also, I your think, back probably hurts less. Oh, yeah. Ah, well, mm, I mean, it hurts differently. It does. Yeah, mm. I have a stand-up desk, so I'm actually pretty good. But if I have to hear about his stand-up <laughs> desk one I, more, do, I don't mention sorry. it that often. Have I told you? I gotta. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> let's uh, let's dive into the lyrics. Sure. Do you want to do the Ian thing now? Before that way, and then we can pull oh, out yeah. pieces. Yeah. Okay. So, so according to Ian. This song is about the fact that while we tend to think of the working man as blue collar, people in all strata are in the rat race. So sure, I, I think you're, yeah. I think I think we we hit it spot on. And the stakes get raised the more successful you are. Mm-hmm. I guess, I suppose. And and ultimately the take home is that you shouldn't scoff at the rich, which I'm I'm not terribly fond of as an idea but i love scoffing at the rich i will will scoff as much as i can at the rich but uh this song overall this song pulls back the last two episodes we we talked about like really specific events and relatively current events too for for at the time of writing yes this one pulls us back a little bit to kind of fit into the theme of of what stormwatch did which was more overarching you know, more of a general commentary on society and, and where it's progressing. Right, right, right. So so what do you want to, what jumps out at you lyrically? In this so song? there are a couple oh, of things. I, I just, oh I my have God. to vent this. I'm so sorry. I have to what vent is this. It? The thing I hate the most about this song uh-huh. is that he, it sounds like he's saying Joe both times. Oh, I know. <laughs> I know. I've always thought that. Crazy. Drives me bananas. I've always, I used to listen to it and think it was working Working Joe, working Joe. 
working Joe, or sometimes I would think working Joe, working John, because I knew that the word John was in it, but I didn't hear it the first time. And then I would, yeah. my mind would be like, well, it must be the second time. It, it must be. Oh, it's not. It's going on. Yes, no, I, I, I agree. <laughs> okay, so, so now lyrically, what do you, what do we, uh, what are we thinking here? I love the first line. When I was a young man, as all good tales begin. When I was a young man, as all good tales begin. That immediately puts it into the realm of the, the you know, the, the, the mythic or the, the storytelling. Yeah, and and our narrator is, is older. We're hearing his past. It's not. It's yes. not an in the present telling. It is. It is. Our narrator has a grandson on his knee, or or is telling his his kid who just graduated high school. Like, listen, this is the way it is. This is how it was for me. He's filing his papers for a second divorce. Yeah, and he's telling the the clerk because he's he just needs to talk to someone. He's very lonely. <laughs> yeah. Now, what confuses me? So the 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 first verse is quite clear to me in general, but. I was taught to hold out my hand confuses me a little bit. I was taught to hold out my hands. I wonder if that's a little bit of like a transatlantic miscommunication yeah. because in America, if you say, oh, someone's holding out their hand in the context of work, the implication is that they're waiting for a, a handout. You know, they're, they want unemployment or they want food stamps or they want some kind of state help. Yeah, exactly. But for, in this case, I get the sense that that means, you know, I was taught to show up, you know, the, with context clues, it makes me think like I was taught to show up on time and show off my calluses, something like that. So I'm wondering what the specific hand reference could be. It, it might even be like a work line reference of like people like lining up and at like a construction site and the, the, the foreman's like, okay, I need someone who can do this. And you hold out your hand and you say, oh, I can, I can lay stone. Oh, I volunteer. Yeah, that could be. Yeah. Yeah. I was also thinking, you know, uh, I know that in, in the old days, it was in a lot of like, uh, religious schools, you, you would have to hold out your hand to show that they were clean. Oh, interesting. You know, the, the teacher would, would align up all the students and say, all right, yeah. everyone hold out your hands and you would get punished if you had dirty hands. But how does that work here? Especially cause in this first part, he's, he's clearly working like a labor job. So why would you have, why would you want like clean hands? Maybe, maybe it's just the, the idea of submitting for inspection. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. The, the term, the term is broader. Yeah. But besides that line, I, I mean, it, it all kind of falls into place. I took what pit, what pittance I could win. You know, you don't have a lot of control over your wages. It's just enough to live off of I love the pairing of I'm doing what I know for God and the economy. Oh, God. And I'm doing what I know for God and the economy. Eek. Because both of those are mysterious powers you don't understand and it control your life. And you're, yeah, they're, they're, they're mythical entities that you you bow down to and you don't want to get on the bad side of. And at this time, there was a lot of economic upheaval. Thatcher won in 79 on the on the fears of the coming inflation, the impending recession that was that was around the corner. I think that for a lot of working people, it may have been kind of the first time in a while at least that some of these terms were being talked about maybe the first time that a lot of this stuff had been talked about on the television which was a new format you know that was sure. in everyone's homes 
you're you're saying the terms like like inflation and, and inflation, like you know, labor markets, all these all these things. Stuff that was maybe dinner table conversation, but maybe not even that before then, you know? It could like, be. I, I can I can imagine a sense of mystery behind the economy in and and if you see the economy is capitalized. Sure, yeah. Big brother watches over me. Big Of course, that refers to George Orwell's 1949 release, 1984. Oh, 1984, yeah. And the, and the state protects and feeds me, and my conscience never leaves me. Mm. And I'm loyal to the unions who protect me at all levels. Yeah, that's our chorus. The state protects Well, and if, you know, as soon as we start talking about the unions in this context, I think that we that the ghost of Thatcher pops up out of the grave to say, "Unions? Who's got a union?" I was just going to say, she was she a union buster? Is that right? Oh, big yeah, okay. time! Yeah, a lot of her policies, what she thought, you know, what her policies were geared around reducing the power of laborers so that the economy could flourish. You know, that's the that's the whole kind of conservative strategy. Let's not pay you so much. So the economy can flourish. Right, exactly, yeah. exactly. She also did a lot of privatization of state-run companies. Sure, sure, sure. Which is a big kind of, you know, that's a, a standard move. Yeah, just just come over to the States, Margaret. Like what you, it's already built here. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, and and that's a, that's something that people do whenever, whenever the economy is in trouble, people say, oh, well, these you know, these state-run organizations are inefficient and the private corporations can do it so much more efficiently. Oh, no! <laughs> They're charging tons of money for that service. Oh, no! How, who could have predicted this? Whoops. I'm, I'm um, sorry. Uh, this is a capitalist society, yeah. Anyway. Yeah, and, and, and those politicians are being paid by those private organizations to do that. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? I'm just a cog in the machine. But I think that what is coming across to me in this verse is the pride. You know, and I, when I was a, when I was a, a man of labor, Nick, and before I, before I went corporate, and when I worked with a lot of, you know, people who, carpenters and welders, people who work with their hands, there is this immense pride of like, you know what? Oh my God, yeah. My job sucks. I don't get paid enough. My my life is horrible. I haven't bought new shoes in a decade. The society looks down on me like I'm some kind of a dirty rat. But I welded that seam. Look at that. I did that. I, I, every time I drive through Syracuse, anytime I see a spot where I put up a pedestrian light or a button or dug in the ground and you can't even see it because they put sidewalk over it. I, I look at that and I'm like, I was there. I, I dug that. that hole. I dug that hole. There's not a hole there anymore. There was, and it was because of me. Yeah. No, it's a good feeling. Yeah, it, it genuinely is. And there's yeah. a sense of cleanliness, wholesomeness almost. Yeah, right. You're doing you're 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 using your the you're using the body that God gave you to create something physical 
and that's useful for people as opposed to sitting sitting at a computer or or whatever. So as we move on to the second verse, yeah, we see we see the evolution, we see the growth, right? And there's and there's there's several things. You know, I love this song so much because it functions as the story of an individual, but it also functions as the story of a of an economy and a country. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And as I grew, the winds of fortune blew, and the bank smiled down upon me. Now as I grew, the winds of fortune blew, and the bank smiled down upon me. So interest rates, you know, like you invested well, right? Well, specifically, what he mentions here is mortgage. Oh, is that just the fact that he was able to get a mortgage? Right. And, you know, there is this, in, in the 20th century, I think that people discovered forgetting that Jesus threw the money lenders out of the temple. Yeah. People discovered, banks discovered, oh my gosh, we can lend people money for things and make yeah. a huge profit on it because we're giving them very high rates of, of you know, we're lending at a high rate. We're, we're yeah. lending, you know, they are paying back way more than what we lend to them. But they have the desire for a house or a car or an education and right. we can capitalize on that. And I, I think the bank smiled down upon me because- like you do have to have a certain amount of money or a certain value of credit before you can even get a mortgage, before you can borrow money that you then have to pay back. Before you can enter into the privilege of going into massive soul-crushing Ex- debt. Exactly. You have to have achieved a certain level of you success. To, you just, it's basically to prove that you can pay it back. You right, know? right, right. So I think that's what the bank – the bank's, I think it's a little tongue-in-cheek or maybe oh, yeah. it's so – Maybe he's so brainwashed. Maybe this character is so brainwashed that he's like, I was blessed by the bank. I mortgaged to the hill. And maybe that's a point of pride. Well, and that's the thing. That's what this, that's what I love about the writing of Ian Anderson is like, this is a great example of like the same verse, even the same phrase has all of those meanings simultaneously. Yeah. The bank was smiling down upon him because he did such a good job getting himself to this point of success. Also, the bank was smiling because they knew they knew a sucker when they saw one. I was, I was just going to say, they found a shell. They found a mark. Yeah. And that's what the bank does. They, you know, that's, that was the, that's, this is the new trend in this, in this time of the economy. Yeah. 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 And, and just the final line of that verse is, is really nice. The breeze of caution behind me just to play oh, yeah. on throwing, throwing caution to the wind. It's, but it's, it's poetic. And that whole, that whole verse is actually really nice in terms of its poeticisms and cross, cross references and things. Well, and he, and he compares the winds of fortune with the breeze of caution. Exactly, yeah. And mortgage to the hills not through the breeze of caution behind me. You know, and that's where we, as you, as many of us will recall, the the Great Recession in America that start, that hit around the time when we graduated from college. Yeah. It was literally caused by the fact that the banks had lent so much money to people at really, really high rates without doing their due diligence to see if people could pay it back. Yeah, the the housing bust and the bank. The lending crisis. The lending crisis, and they paid, the government lent the banks money and- then, Oh, it was a, yeah, such a mess. Then told them they didn't have to pay most of it back or whatever. And, Fortunately, now everything's fine. Oh, we're great. We're great. Everything's great. I ate a can of peas for supper. <laughs> oh, it just sounds kind of good. It, I, I could go for that. And then we've got the a, a tweak on the we've got the 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 chorus, but it's tweaked a little bit. 
Now I'm equal to the best of you and better than the rest of you who would criticize my success in times of national unrest. And that relates, I think, very directly to the policies of of Thatcher and the conversations that were happening around those policies where, you know, I think the argument was we've let the unions, we've let the working people have too much control over the economy. And so we can't buy labor at a rate that allows us to progress as an economy. Yeah. And so we criticize the worker. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. And he's, this is, so this second verse was this transitional period to go from blue collar to white collar. And we reach that point at the end of this second chorus. Now I'm equal to the best of you. I am at the top just like you are. I'm better than the rest of you. Everyone else who is not up here with me. Well, and that really goes into this, this the psychology of working people and advancement and, and capitalism, which is, you know, people will tolerate very, very bad conditions as long as they think that someone else is worse off. Exactly, yeah. It's really messed up, but <laughs> that's, it is. it's true. Yeah, it's it's psychology and it is, it's what the idea of, of capitalism was built on. I mean, it makes me think of, of the jungle, Upton Sinclair's The Jungle, of, mm, of those yeah. people in the, the meatpacking plants and how gosh darn terrible it was, you know? Sure. Yeah. It also, you know, there's so much to say. So now we get to the end and, and we've sort of entered the, you know, we have the, it's, this really sort of follows the hero's journey in a way. Yeah. You know, where you have in the beginning, you have the young hero with everything to prove. In the middle, you have this this terrible struggle and crisis. And at the end, you have, in theory, the the kingdom saved, the, you know, the the hero becoming the the prince or the, or yeah. the king. Yeah, it, it, it's all it's all cushy and and good news from there. Now I own my horseless carriage in its central heated garage, a rhyme that only works in British English. I love it. I love it. Now I own my horseless carriage in its central heated garage. Now we start to get into maybe less than than good stuff. I commute 80 miles a day, up at seven to make it pay. I direct 10 limited companies. Like, that's a position of power. That's amazing. With seeming consummate expertise, two ulcers, Mm. and a heart disease, a trembling feeling in both knees. And I commute 80 miles a day, up at seven to make it pay. So a lot going on there. First yeah. of all, a heated garage. Yeah, that's impressive. Yeah, very impressive. Also, I think that, you know, at this time, there were there were plenty of people who, you know, whose families had never owned a car because it's England and you can get away with not. Yeah. Because you can walk to work. Right, right. And so just even, you know, having a car. Oh, my God. Bought a car? Holy cow. That's huge. Not only does he own it, you know, he's not even leasing it or anything. He owns it. Not right. only does he own it, he has 
a house for it that is heated. It's not parked on the side of the road. It's not no. parked in the in the the driveway. He has a garage, a garage, and the garage itself is heated. I mean, that still heat. is very impressive. It's exorbitant. Yeah, yeah, but it's you know really nice. But, but yeah, no, absolutely. It is a it is a it is a mark of status. I didn't even realize that people had heated garages. Like I didn't realize that that was a real thing until recently. I'm trying to think if I've ever been in a heated garage. Someday, Nick, if you work hard. I cannot wait. That's that's my goal. That's my goal. I've Ed. been in your garage when your wife set something on fire for art. Really? Yeah. Was that up here? Or yeah. was that in Connecticut? No, that was in your current abode. Do you not remember Raven setting a piece of glass aflame in your garage? Oh, or? yes. Yes, I do. I do remember that now. So yeah, for a she moment, was you were off. in a heated garage. She was burning. <laughs> I uh, I just bring the car into the garage, close all the doors, and let the car run. <laughs> so and it warms it up. That's it gets what a great warm. idea. <laughs> so obviously, so, you know, the first couple of lines set up this like, wow, success. Uh-huh. But then immediately it starts to undermine it with, I commute 80 miles a day, 40 miles one way. Yeah. Ooh, girl. Yeah, that's a lot. That's a lot of commute. Up at seven to make it pay. Which up at seven doesn't seem that early. But I mean, I'm my my construction job, I was up at four. Sure. And and I commuted an hour sometimes, depending on where the job was. So it's it's I I, I can see it both ways. It's like, oh that's that's nothing, but I mean still I get up at six every day, so But I think the I think the point is like having to, you know, ma- no matter what is normal or or not having to build in the time to commute to an office yeah takes away from your enjoyment of the profits of that job so so substantial a commute yeah yeah and yeah. also you know i direct 10 limited companies so obviously there's some kind of you know finance inv- implied here with seeming consummate expertise there's this sense of like oh here's the facade yeah. and you know it's, it keeps it keeps b- building in layers with this verse here's the facade of success and inside, I have no idea what the hell I'm doing. Yeah, someone trusts me enough for me to have gotten to this this position, yeah. and I can I can I can pull it off. But you you pull out one Jenga piece, and, and it's game over. Right, right, right. Two ulcers and a heart disease. You know, it's destroying his health. It, this reminds me of somebody I worked for who, you know, is the picture of American success. Started out, you know, his family owned a restaurant. When he was a kid and and when he was 16, he saved enough money to buy a hot dog cart. And from that hot dog cart, he built it into this advertising empire. You know, he was he owned a building in New York City. Wow. And that man was our 45th president. (laughs) Yeah. No, he never worked. No, not a day in his fucking life. But but, you know, this guy, you know, I sort of knew his his story. And and at a certain point, he. Uh, and his family moved to Connecticut and sold off that building. And he eventually, you know, like, you know, he eventually left that job. And he, for a while, he was still managing it from afar. But he really, he really took a, he really took a massive step back when when his when he and his wife had started having kids. And I and I was kind of telling, you know, I was kind of asking him one time. I was like, wow, you know, we, that was a massive transition moving from Manhattan to this smaller town in Connecticut. Yeah. And he said, yeah, yeah, it was a really big transition. And he kind of paused and he said. But if we hadn't done that, I'd probably be on my second family by now. Oof. And I was just like, wow. Oh. Wow. The the awareness. 
he clearly saw himself going down this road that yeah. was that like he knew that the stress was going to cause massive problems for Rift, him. Rifts and bad decisions. Yeah. yeah. And like, you know, Oof. he would either be dead or have ruined his his marriage. Yeah. So wow. He, so he chose something else. Well, I, I, I've got something to uh, to to swing, swing us back into a lighter mood. Swing on over, daddy. So leading up to to this this recording, you sent me a text a couple of days ago saying, have you heard on Spotify the Working John, Working <laughs> Joe, Steve Wilson remix take number four? Oh, right. And, and you said this is take number five. Oh, my God. Yeah, 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 yeah. The That's one that right, we heard, the one that is that is published is take number yep. five. OK, yes, 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 yes. So, so take number four is on Spotify. You should you should all, all listen to it. But there's this moment. I think it's the last verse, actually. Yeah. The yep. last verse where Ian just biffs it on the lyrics. Seemingly forgets all the lyrics. And he just he just does this amazing scat uh, until he picks the lyrics back, back up in his mind and like finishes with the last two lines. But it's. It's a it's amazing. It is such a like such a peek behind the flute. It's really cool. <laughs> well, and the incredible thing for me is is twofold. One, just the experience of listening to it. I was telling you that I I literally thought that that I was having a stroke when I was listening yeah. to this. Like this isn't right. This can't be right. I was like my brain isn't processing these <laughs> lyrics correctly. But also the fact that everyone just keeps going with such professionalism. Yeah. Is it just him singing? Like, has everybody else already done it? Or do they record everybody at once? Do I they think tr- that in this context, most people were being recorded at the same time. That's my yeah? sense of it. Okay. I don't really okay. know. But okay. Nick, shall we take a little peek behind the flute, if you will? Yes, absolutely. Buckle up. There's something so satisfying about hearing him sing like that. And I can't, I can't explain it. I don't know why I can't put my finger on it, but there's something so like, it completes me. It's to the hear sheer that. determination of like, <laughs> you know what? I don't know what these words are. I wrote them. Yes, I did. But I will keep singing this nonsense. It's, it's not, it's like, and he commits to it. It's not like he half-asses it. He it's sings a, nonsense with feeling. It's not like in, oh gosh, what was it? It's not like in Quatrain, Quatrain where, where he screws up with the mandolin and he's like, oh, fuck, damn it. And, and, no, and right. He, everybody continues ex- on. But. There's this deep acceptance, this passionate acceptance of, of it's absurd. It's wonderful. Also, yeah. it's, it's worth noting that in this take, we don't have the other voices backing. Oh, that's true. Sure. So, which makes me think David Pegg was recorded on the you know on the the harmonies later on oh a separate track yeah that would make sense yeah but i think all the other instruments were playing live in that one moment so it seems it's not terribly synthy is it if i remember correctly right so maybe the synth was recorded later it's interesting yeah. interesting to, to see 
And maybe that's why I like it so much is because the synth is, is off and it's just like kind of a, it's more classic tall. Not mm-hmm. that I don't like the synth, but anytime I get something that is, that is a era, but sounds more like a little older tall, like it's, it's a special treat for me. Yeah. You know, it's really nice. Speaking of special treats, Nick. Yes. What will we be talking tall about next week? Next week, we are talking track number four off of the album. It is the final track off of side A. Mm. It is the song Black Sunday. <gasps> oh, we got a teapot. We got a teapot. Yep. The, every, you, you do that after every song. Uh, with the anticipation of every song, I think. Yeah, I've got very high blood pressure. It's, I, I need my medicine immediately. I need my blood let out. <laughs> Bring me the leech. Uh, across the room. Until next week, please be the winds of our fortune and blow in the direction of our merch and buy yourself a Talk Tall to Me t-shirt or baseball cap or phone case or pillow or sweatshirt. The, uh, the T Public has so many options. If you really don't want a T-shirt, go for something else. It's, it's the variety is there. You can even just get a vinyl sticker. If Talk Tall to Me makes your eighty-mile daily commute a little easier, consider sharing the wealth that you create by giving us a five-star rating and positive review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Do you feel that? That is the breeze of caution behind you. Oh, thank God. I thought I forgot to wear pants. <laughs> I'm very gassy today. As, as you make your way over to Patreon, patreon.com slash talk told to me. $5 a month gets you two additional podcasts and access to our Discord community, which is a loving and supportive and much more intelligent community than we bring to you in the podcast. Yeah, or or that we deserve. And it's full of working Johns, Joes, Janes, Jakes, Jills, Jamals, Juans, Juans, and... JKs, working JKs. And JKs. <laughs> Until next week, I am the proud owner of a horseless carriage, Nick McGill. I am the trembling feeling in your knees, Omen Said. We are the two ulcers, the feckless momes. And baday badim badam boom bum. <laughs> Talk tell to me. Right, Mr. Joseph, John Joseph, I see. Yeah, yeah, John Joe. Boys at the office call me Jimmy Jan. I see that your tests have come back. Thank you for coming in so we can discuss this. That's great, Doc. That's great, Doc. You know, I just, uh, you know, we can get this kind of over with quickly. I got to get, I got to get back to the head office. because Sure. I, I mean, I, I've got, okay, let me see if I can get to the, I mean, it's all kind of important. We should. Sure. Got to shuffle through these papers here. So right. I see that your your blood pressure is fairly elevated. 
Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, you know, you know, it's a it's a great job. I, I I've got like ten accounts right now. I'm hoping to get up to eleven and and you know, it's definitely stressful, but it's like the good stress. It's like the good yeah. stress where you know you're doing a lot of really great work and and uh, and you, you know. Freaking David over there in accounting, he only has uh, he only has nine accounts, so you know, it's worth it, right? So, so I'm not sure if you're aware or okay. not, but but high blood pressure paired with heart disease is really not a good combination. Oh, to have? Do I have the heart disease? You do. You have you have both of those things. Yeah. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah. Wow. Not to mention you've got. You've also looks like you've got a couple of ulcers. You know, going you on. know one thing I do, uh, and this is a little trick I I picked up from uh, from my boss actually, whose job I might be in line for, is uh, you know at the end of the day I have a I just have a couple of scotches that helps to calm me down. I okay. just feel this okay. wave of relaxation pass over me, and um, okay. I think that's probably good. That's probably why my heart is so healthy at this point, as healthy as it is. You know, it, it might be. Yeah, uh, do you, you eat a lot of red meat. Oh my okay. God! Yeah. Every Tuesday we have filet mignon at the office. Okay. Every Wednesday we have T-bone. Every Thursday we have pork tenderloin because it's you know a little healthier. And Friday is double steak day where we have a little competition between the boys and me to see who can eat their steak the fastest. So okay. I'm, uh, usually win. <laughs> And uh, how many cups of coffee do you have a day? Oh, how many cups of coffee? I literally, I'm drinking, this is my, like, literally this coffee that I have in my hand right now. I don't even take count because, you know, when I wake up in the morning, just straight to the cigarettes, straight to the coffee. You know, I got to get my go juice so I can get, just, you know, keep driving the company forward. Without me, they would collapse. Without my coffee, I would collapse. Yeah. (sighs) Yeah. Mr. Joseph, I, I'm afraid I have some. I have some terrible news for oh, you. Did my car get towed? Did my BMW get towed? I don't I don't know. I can't speak to that. Please but, don't. God, it's the only thing that brings me joy. Uh, but in, in regards to your health, Mr. Joseph, uh-huh. I can see that your knees are trembling right now. Uh, yeah. I just I need you to know that Gosh, this is never easy. I, I need you to know that. Talk to Hultamy is a, it's a proud member of the Feckless Moms audio network. Oh my God. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Just like my dad.